Coming up on the BS Pod, a big football trade, some NBA talk, and then some reality. Another great podcast. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Hope you checked out the Rewatchables. Van Lathan and I did Titanic. Hope you checked out the Prestige TV podcast where we were covering a bunch of great shows, including uh, Mrs. Maisel was up there. Bridgerton, a primer heading into season two. We're going to be doing... But whatever, we crashed. We're doing that one. The dropout. Yeah, go to the Prestige TV pod. You can go to our football pods as well if you want to uh, hear more about this Devontae Adams trade that Ben Solak and I are about to talk about. And if you love basketball, we broke down the tournament on a whole bunch of different places. The mismatch, the uh, Ringer NBA show, Rosillo show. So uh, I know you're enjoying the tournament. You can listen to this with tournament muted. You can watch basketball and listen to me. We're going to talk to Ben Solak from The Ringer about the big Devontae Adams trade. We're going to talk to Rob Mahoney from The Ringer about a little NBA check. And more importantly, uh, could Giannis actually win the MVP and some other plot lines we're watching heading into uh, the fourth, to third to last weekend. And last but not least, Callie Curry is going to come on. She's going to tell us um, what it's like for the family of a player that gets traded what it's like to bounce around when you're part of an NBA family. And then uh, we're going to talk reality because she is on the Bachelor Party Podcast and the Ring of Reality feed. She's great. Talk about the Bachelorette. What's the future? What do we do? What do we do with this franchise? Is it working? How can we fix it? What would an NBA reality show look like? Uh, we talked about all that stuff. It's really good. This is a good podcast. I'm getting it for free. I'm jealous of you. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, there's not a lot of NFL moments that would lead to me forcing Ben Solak from the ringer to call in from an airport on his phone, but we're going to do it that way. Uh, Devontae Adams traded to Las Vegas, and they only had to give up a first-round pick and a second-round pick. 
They had to give him five years, $141.25 million, according to reports. They're doing that every time because he's Devontae Adams, second best receiver in the league. Somehow they're doing the best receiver in the league thing. Everyone, Cooper Cup, I see you. He's at least Adams is second. He might be first on some people's list. But this was a bomb. Ben Solak, are you surprised? I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm definitely surprised. There was a smoke around this idea that Adams wasn't going to budge on his contract figure and that the Packers weren't going to be going to be able to work under the cap. And Adams said explicitly, I'm not going to play under the tag. But usually that smoke dissipates. Usually something happens, right? Somebody hands get shaken. All right, we're going to come up with this and we'll, 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 we'll do you right in a couple of years. We'll restructure. And especially when Aaron Rodgers comes back into the fold, you're thinking to yourself, okay, Good on Devontae, good on Devontae's camp for making sure he gets paid, but this will come to a natural conclusion that leaves him in Green Bay. How could it not? They have no other receivers. They brought back Rodgers for the playoff push. Like, there's no way Adams leaves. But it turns out where there's smoke, this fire. And the fact that Derek Carr and, and, and the Fresno State Bulldog connection was strong enough to pull Adams away from Rodgers and Green Bay is really, really incredible. So it, it, there was smoke, but... Still, this does catch you a little bit slack, y'all, that really Devontae Adams is out of Green Bay. So I'm going to start here with my, this is my big take. Ready? Great career move by Devontae Adams. Like really, yeah, wonderful stuff. So here's what he does. He becomes the highest paid receiver in the league. He dumps Aaron Rodgers and all the drama and gets rid of a 38-year-old QB who might be headed on the wrong way, who's about to hog the salary cap in a major way over the next couple of years. For his college buddy, a guy that he's hung out in dorm rooms with, that he loves and trusts, he's finally the most famous guy on his team. He traded Green Bay for Las Vegas, not a small trade, and uh, enters a high-profile division, and he has Josh McDaniels as his coach. This just feels like a win all the way around. If I'm Devontae Adams versus like being back in this Green Bay thing, you've already seen what could happen with Rodgers the last couple of years. You couldn't get over the hump with him. Now he's taken up even more of the cap starting after next year. And, and he just gets his fresh start and he's the man. Now it's like, do most, do people even know what Devonte Adams look like? Could most people even recognize him if he was in their living room right now? Now it is a warranted question. Like you brought up, like, you know, Adams isn't the clear cut wide receiver one because the season that Cooper cup had, but right now, if you were, you know, putting a gun to my head and asking me to predict who's better the next three years, Adams or Cup, really Adams or the field, I'd probably still say Devontae Adams, even with mm. him outside of Green Bay and not with Aaron Rodgers. I do want to ask, like, it, it, how much of that good career move is baked into the money? Because there were a couple Packers reporters, like like uh, Matt Schneider, the Athletic, had that the Packers were willing to pay him the same amount. And Adam said, no, I, I'm out of here and I, I'm going to the Raiders and going to do it with Carr. So how much of it being the best career move is career move is the money because apparently the money could have been equal. So that was really surprising. And it's going to lead to a lot of conspiracy theories about Aaron Rodgers and his role in this over the next couple of days that Adams just wanted to get away from, you know, Greg Jennings, you know, he'll be popping on shows talking about Rodgers a diva, but big week for Greg Jennings. Oh yeah. Greg Jennings, Greg Jennings agent, just uh kachinging it right now. But, um, but with Rogers and Adams, like, it is a little weird. There was a moment a couple months ago when Adams went out of his way to praise Adam, when Rogers went out of his way to praise Adams. I don't know if you remember this, but um, I think it was on a McAfee show or it was a press, it was a press conference. 
and he just spent like 90 seconds on it. And it almost seemed like he felt like things were slipping away and he just wanted to get it out there. What an awesome teammate Adams was. And Hey, just, you know, they want to get on the record. And I remember filing that away. Like, that's weird. That's strange that he felt like he needed to do that. So maybe he felt like either Adams was slipping away from the organization or Adams wanted his own team in a new situation. I don't, I don't know the answer. What do you think? I, 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 I don't fully know. I don't know if it's, it's a hundred percent Rogers that he, he, I like, I would 100% get it. If he was frustrated with Rogers, I think every single person in the NFL sphere, Green Bay Packers or otherwise was frustrated with Aaron Rodgers at some point this year. But right. there's also, I, I think a clear message from, uh, from Brian Gutenkunst and from Mark Murphy, kind of the brass there in Green Bay that they are going to run the ship the way they like to run the ship. And if that means that it pisses off some star players, that means that it pisses off some star players. Like, we got to remember the first big moment in this Green Bay saga was Aaron Rodgers after the NFC Championship game loss, excuse me, the NFC uh, Division Round loss to the Buccaneers two seasons ago, where he, he stood in front of a bunch of reporters and said, I don't know who's going to be back next year. I don't know who, who this, this, you know, are, the Packers in this front office is going to invest in, right? And that was about Brian Bulaga. And it was about Corey Lindsley. And then we later learned when Rogers spoke in the summer, it was about, uh, you know, Clay Matthews. It was about Randall Cobb. And it was about guys that Rogers, over the course of his career in Green Bay, believed deserved to be treated right, that weren't treated right, that weren't given long contracts, that weren't assumed to, to hang on during their, their, their veteran years. And that might be good business by the Packers and saying, listen, we're going to get out on guys early. You know, we're going to let 30-plus-year-old guys go. We're not going to overpay for our homegrown veterans. But Rodgers had been there long enough to kind of see that that was the way they were doing it, and he wanted to call them out on it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Adams had a similar experience with the brass in Green Bay, where Adams probably said, and rightfully so, I deserve to be the highest paid receiver in the league. Look at DeAndre Hopkins, $27 million per year. Right. Look at you know Mike Williams getting $20 million per. Look at Amari Cooper getting $20 million per. I deserve to be heads and shoulders above those guys and encountered some resistance. So I think Green Bay's, brass has developed a reputation that they kind of jerk their star players around a little bit and 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 believe a lot more in their process as opposed to like really investing in the stars that reputation i think is starting to hurt them and i think you see the repercussions of that not a hundred percent in adam's decision but at least it's there a little bit well and that's part of the problem they're the only team is it's been said a million times that doesn't have an owner you know like a full-fledged person kind of yeah kind of watching the house a big winner in this Obviously, Derek Carr, but a big winner also because, you know, he w- he's on a really good contract right now for the Raiders, and he's, I think, entering the last year of it, but I think dollar for dollar was probably one of the best deals of any starter other than the guys in the rookie deals. Absolutely, and, yeah. And th- there was a feeling like, oh, if they wanted to trade him, if they want to get in on Deshaun Watson, or if they wanted to trade for Aaron Rodgers, when it seemed like Rodgers was tradable, like, Carr is actually a good chip in a in a con- in a trade like that because of his contract, whatever. Now I'm guessing he's there long term. If they did this Adams trade and that's his buddy and they've always dreamed about playing together again, I think Carr stays there long term, which means that they're going to be doubling down here for the first half of the decade with with Carr and Adams and Renfro, Waller, and then they got Jacobs for at least another year. That's that's pretty nice situation for Derek Carr, right? I would say that's arguably a top five weapons situation. So we'll see how good he is. I thought it was pretty good last year, but I don't want to leave that situation. So if they cut the check, that's it. Maybe he retires with the Vegas Raiders for all we know. 
Right. I, I, I very much agree. So right now, Derek Carr has a cap hit of $19.8 million, which is extremely wow. low for, for a starting quarterback. All that money, by the way, is base salary. None of that money is guaranteed. That's all game check. So firstly, Derek Carr's agent is on the phone with Dave Ziegler right now saying, hey, you are extending my boy. Like, you, you, there is no way I'm letting Derek Carr, who clearly you're building this passing game for and around Derek Carr. We're not, I'm not letting him play out the final year of his deal on 19 million or 20 million, none of it guaranteed. So I very strongly expect uh, that we see, like you said, a Derek Carr extension get built out at some point in the offseason. It might even lower the cap it for this year to help them make some accompanying moves because you're right. The weapons are really good. Jacob, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and Ed Adams. The line is still a problem. And mm. one of the last things that the, the Gruden Mayock Raiders did is they really gutted the line, right? Rodney Hudson to the Cardinals, Gabe Jackson uh, to the Seattle Seahawks, right? Trent Brown left the Raiders. They, they have right now Colton Miller is a great left tackle. And then it's John Simpson, Andre James, Alex Leatherwood, a first-round rookie, the last pick of, of that Mayock tenure who was really, really rough as a rookie. This line is not good. And so I love the weapons. I love the way Derek Carr has been playing. He's in his early 30s. He's a, he's a solid pocket passer. Doesn't make mistakes. If you have good weapons and a good team around you, he will bring the ship home. But pressure will kill this Raiders team if they don't take the offensive line. That's what remains. They don't have that first-round pick. They don't have that second-round pick. But they still have a decent amount of money and could probably restructure a little bit to open up some more. Offensive line should be the focus of the team coming into the 2022 season. Well, they're not going to be using their first two picks in the draft on an offensive line hope because they traded them. At the same time, if you had told me, as I was going to bed tonight last night, Devontae Adams is getting traded. What do you think the price is? I just would have said two firsts. I, especially like, you know, when you think of what the price of some of these other ones were, like for what Wilson got, Wilson's really expensive. Um, hating his mid thirties and he really, you know, didn't look awesome the last couple of years, but he got a really good haul. Um, it would seem like one first would be too cheap. I'm kind of stunned by the one first one second, but you know, the, the quick consensus just scrolling through tweets were like the contract is so expensive that that kind of prohibits the price that you have to give up. I don't know if I agree with that. What did, what did you think of like a, just a first and a second? That's it to get Devonte Adams. I, I get the argument in terms of like the, the money is so much. We got to remember the Packers were willing to pay him that money, right? So it's not like the Packers are saying, oh, well, I guess, you know, there's no way we're keeping him because we're shortchanging him. The, the reports are the Packers are willing to pay him that money. I yeah. think when you, look, when you look across the course of non-quarterback trades over the last several years, typically when a guy who is arguably the top player at his position gets traded, we see multiple first-round picks involved. You the Jalen Ramsey trade. I uh, went from the... the um, the Jaguars to the Rams, that was two firsts and a fourth. We had the Khalil Mack trade, uh, which was a, a two first round picks and a second, uh, yeah, two first round picks. And then they got a second back from the Raiders, but still it was two first round picks and went from the Raiders to the Bears. And then Laramie Tunsil, uh, he was, he was shipped for two first round picks when he went from the Dolphins to Houston. And I, I would argue at the time, Tunsil was clearly not the top left tackle. He was a, one of the top rising left tackles, one of the top young left tackles, but he wasn't the top guy. So if you're going to get traded. And Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is another one, right? That was two first-round picks, too. And, and man, how did I forget Jamal Adams? Because that's such a good case where, like, safety, you would probably argue, is not as preeminent, not as premier a position as receiver is. So typically, when the top guy gets traded at the non-quarterback position, we are seeing multiple first-round picks. So if you're telling me a one and a two and then nothing else for Devontae, okay, yes, I did make him the highest-paid receiver by a mile 
in the league. But I feel pretty good coming away with that exchange. I don't think I don't think the the uh, Packers got their pockets run. I don't think they got like drastically shortchanged. But I would say it's a good deal for the Raiders, and I'm sure they were happy to just send a one and two. Well, if you're the Packers, if you're rooting for the Packers, you live there, whatever. They trade them. They trade the most fun guy in the team. They trade a guy that I remember listening to you on a podcast last year where you just basically your brain broke describing all the ways they use him, where it's just like he's the one receiver in the league. He could be outside, inside, and mo- like whatever you want to do with him, he could do. He's the Swiss Army knife of receiving patterns. Um, so now you lose that guy. You don't really have a replacement for him. And your team's hitched its wagon to this 38-year-old guy who's been all drama for the last couple of years and who didn't really totally seem like he wanted to be there. And you might have missed your window. And now now you're looking at this situation, which you already lived through in the mid-2000s with Favre, where it's like the last place you want to be, a little like the Lakers and LeBron, obviously, where you're tied to this expensive aging superstar who wants everything to revolve around him, but you don't really have a chance to win the title. I, I guess my question is, is how do they have a chance to actually compete for a title if you remove Adams from this and replace them with the 22nd and 55th picks? How is this still a title team? They don't. I would not consider the Packers in the top echelon of NFC contenders at the time. Uh, wow. They have, they have nothing at receiver, right? This isn't like, oh, you know, when Darren Waller went down for the Raiders, to like use an example, Hunter Renfro had some really nice games and, and oh, you know, uh, Zay Jones stepped into like a decent number two role that apparently got him a ton of money with the Jaguars for some reason. Listen, this is Alan Lazard on an, on an ERFA, right? Exclusive right free agent deal. Maybe Randall Cobb, uh, who uh, they probably have to cut because they still have cap problems. They need to sign other guys. Amari Rogers, Rico Gaffer. Can I interest you in some Josh Malone? Like there's nobody on the seat enters the receiver room. Uh, we we saw what happened against the 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 Niners when uh, in that playoff game. The only people Rodgers were comfortable throwing to on the field were Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. He just lost one of those two guys. You're gonna throw it to Jones twelve times a game behind the line of scrimmage? You have, right. there's there's no receiver talent in this passing game right now. And okay, sure, maybe they can run the ball well. The scheme is good at, at opening guys. Yeah, but it's not. It's this is that that'll that'll play in the regular season. That'll win you eleven games. The NFC North bad, sure, win the division. You ain't making a playoff run with that. NFC's weak, but it's not that weak. I, I uh, we got to see what moves Packers make. Um, because like I said, they, they should be able to open a little bit of space. They've been in the veteran market now since before this news. Um, but I, I I do not consider them on the echelon of the Rams, even after losing Vaughn. I don't consider them on the echelon of, of the Bucks. I don't view them as as a contending team in the NFC. And then you have Brady, who goes. I feel like one of the reasons he came back was because the NFC was, you know, he just probably felt like it was wide open the more he looked at it. I really do think that he thought about that. And now it's even more wide open. On the flip side, you have McDaniels goes to Vegas. And the, and one of the first things he does is trade away picks for a franchise receiver, which is something Bill Belichick never would have done. It's almost like watching my my son leave the house and then order like $250 of stuff from 7-Eleven and just like eating Doritos and soda. It's like, ah, dad, look at me. Ah, um, I, I, th- I do thought it was funny that that was the guy that traded for Devontae Adams. When, when I realized that like Adams was now a McDaniels guy and my first thought was like, 
Josh Daniels has never had a receiver this good ever. And then I remember that Randy Moss existed. Right. But like that, it's just been so long. It's been so long since we've seen the Daniels with a star receiver. And I'm really interested to see what that looks like. It's very easy to figure out how uh, Hunter Renfro makes sense for Josh Daniels. We've seen him work with players like that before. Very easy to figure out how Darren Waller works for Josh Daniels. We've seen him work with a player like that before in Aaron Hernandez. Uh, Devontae Adams is now a, what we, we would call him a force multiplier, right? It's not just that Adams is so good. It's that he's going to make it easier for McDaniels to use Renfro in the Welker role. It's going to make it easier for him to use Waller in the Aaron Hernandez role. Like he is a rising tide that lifts all boats in this Raiders offense right now. If McDaniels is everything he's built as as an offensive designer. And I, I like McDaniels as a passive game designer. He's got a lot of uh, a resume. He's been creative. He's changed up what he does. This would get really, really cool. Just flat out in terms of what this passing game looks like. And Derek Carr is the, the sort of mind, right? The sort of veteran who can handle all of that ass. Like, again, pass section is a concern. There's going to be an onboarding process, but I would, I would not be surprised if by the middle of the season, this is just appointment viewing passing game in Las Vegas. Well, and Derek Carr, you know, he can fucking chuck it. He, he can throw yeah. it. He really can. He's, he throws a nice deep ball. He was pushing the ball deep downfield even after they lost Henry Ruggs. This guy is not the dude who came into the league. He's gotten steadily better even into his 30s. It's really, really exciting to think about. Well, I was looking, I was thinking about the AFC West. I'm not going to do the thing where it's like, this is the greatest fantasy football division ever. Because I don't know. I haven't gone through the last 40 years. But I will say this is the best fantasy football division we've had in a couple of years. Where you got, just think about it, Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. You have Herbert, Allen, Eckler, Mike Williams. You got Russell Wilson, Javante, Jody, uh, Jerry Judy, and, and Cortland Sutton. And then you have Carr, Adams, Renfro, Waller, and Jacobs. And they're all in one division. And they're all going to be playing the late games for the most part. And they're all going to be playing each other. And, you know, like one of the big winners of this trade is CBS. CBS, they, they're, they're going to have awesome games. These teams are going to play each other, you know, six times. And every game will be fun. And I don't know who the best offense is going to be out of those four teams. I went through the division and tried to figure out, like, if you were to just make an all-pro team from the division, what would it look like? And on offense, right, you have Mahomes, Eckler, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Darren Waller, and Travis Kelsey. It's unbelievable. The line is really good. Uh, Rashawn Slater, Joe Tooney, right? Colton Miller, Creed Humphrey. On defense, it's impossible to take the pass rushers. You have Joey Bosa. Khalil Max, he's with the Chargers now. Chandler Jones, because he's with the Raiders now. You have uh, Max Crosby as well. You have Chris Jones on the interior, right? You have JC Jackson and Patrick Satan, Der- Derwin James, Justin Simmons, all of the back ends. Like you could argue that a all pro team from the AFC West alone could hang with and maybe be an all pro team from the other seven divisions combined. Wow. Both the offenses and the defenses in this division are sick. And and who comes out of it? It's like, honestly, big winner in this trade, Buffalo. Because Buffalo is just going to sit in the AFC East and, you know, okay, maybe the Patriots will be good. I'll get that in from the top. But Buffalo is going to sit in the AFC East. They're going to be able to make the playoffs. They're not going to play this murderer's row. And they're going to get to January a lot fresher after these four teams absolutely beat up on each other for the whole season. Well, and Buffalo is also a big winner because it, it just appears like the Pats might be throwing away the season. They're just losing starters and... yeah. And and not getting back really anybody at all. Who I'm trying to figure out who plays the AFC West this year. Uh, we, the AFC the AFC South plays them, which means we're yeah. gonna watch Jacksonville play all of these teams and Houston oh my play God. all of these teams. 
Um, uh, and I don't know which NFC division it is. It isn't the East. I know the Eagles don't have them. Jesus. Um, so it could be what it could be one of the middle ones then. So we have for for uh, on Fanduel right now. Casey is plus one thirty five to win the AFC West. Chargers plus two sixty. Denver plus three ten. And Vegas is five to one. I don't know, man. I, I I feel like those teams should be more closely bunched together. I don't really even think there's a favorite right now because each team has a hole that I would re- like with the Chargers. I don't know if I trust their coach at all. I don't know if I trust Bosa to stay in the field. Denver. Who knows with Wilson, new team, who knows how that goes. Vegas, you know, they they lost a lot of uh, draft capital with some of the guys that went south over the last couple of years. KC, this is going to be year five of a run. Usually these runs are three to four years. So I, I don't know. Who do you have as the favorite right now? Right. It's really tough. I think the Raiders should be fourth just because, like you brought up, they've got a lot of work to do in rebuilding that roster. The secondary is really, really bad. The line is really, really bad. Uh, I, I love what they did. I think they're, they're going to win some shootouts, right? You remember the Raiders of 2020 who played yeah. the Chiefs in two shootouts? And I think beat them. I know they beat them in one. They might have beaten them in two. Like, I think they'll have that. I'm not sure they'll have more than that. So maybe they're, they're a, a, a squirrely wildcard team. Uh, after that, I think that your Broncos are, are, are a kick below. They're a 1B behind the Chargers and the Chiefs. And right now, I have Chargers division-winning tickets. Uh, the Chargers have had an incredible free agency period. They have a guy in Justin Herbert who I think is is above Russell Wilson in terms of quarterback tiers. I think that he's, he's, he's a step above. I think he's in that elite tier. So I got them at like plus, I want to say like 350. I think it was like right after the Wilson trade, they kind of had a dip and, and I bought him there. But uh, after the match trade, getting J.C. Jackson in the building, Sebastian Joseph Day, who Brandon Staley knows will make the system work. I like the Chargers at value to win that division. I think the Chiefs and the Chargers are kind of your 1A Broncos right there is the one B and the Raiders are, are a clear fourth, but doggone it. They're a good fourth. Well, if you go fun rankings, all, all four of those teams are in the, are in the fun top 10. So is Buffalo, Dallas, the Rams, and the Bucks. That might be like your, that might be your seven and, may, and maybe the Bengals. We'll see. We'll see what they add. I did, the Bengals are more impressive than fun. I wouldn't call them like a barrel of laughs at times, but yeah, I, I, think, I think the Niners, Niners might be up there in the fun rankings. It's like, because like rookie quarterbacks can be fun. Like, it could be exciting when they're good. Yeah. Ravens, if Lamar's healthy, but that's kind of like a question mark. But no, I think that's your, yes, all four definitely like top eight in terms of funness. Like, I can't wait to watch every single offense. It's going to be extremely cool to see who gets the early lead in this division. And we have to just mention Arizona with an asterisk because who knows? There could be a year where they end up actually being fun for more than three weeks in a row. That Yeah, I, no, Arizona will be fun long enough to make us talk about them once and then they'll immediately stop being fun. Right. They'll, they'll be fun enough to lead one podcast on either Ringer NFL or my podcast and then we'll never talk about them again. All right. What a trade. Ben Solak, you hop on that plane. Good job. Um, I can't believe this trade happened. The NFL always gives us something to talk about. Uh, I'll hear you on the Ringer NFL show as well, I'm sure, talking about this too. But uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. I've spent three whole days preparing for a Deshaun Watson trade. So, of course, we get blindsided by something else right in the middle. <laughs> but uh, thanks for having me, man. All right. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe. Award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. 
Couldn't work better. I think Sipway Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others, real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, Rob Mahoney is here from The Ringer. He wrote about Giannis and Tedekupo today. Rob, I am feeling like Giannis, I don't know if he's there yet, but I think we're edging there, is becoming the most disrespected superstar of his generation. You laid out some of the case today for why he should absolutely be thrown into the MVP race in every conversation, then it's not just Jokic versus Embiid, which I agree with. But just in general, I, I've never seen people go out of their way to look for more reasons not to declare somebody either the best player in the league or 1B to Durant, if we're going to do that. He answers every question we have in the finals last year. He yep. plays hurt. He comes through on the biggest stages. He has iconic plays. He handles his business the right way. He crushes on both ends. He's the best defensive player in the league. He's averaging 30, 11, and 6. He's carried a team that's had a lot of moving pieces during the year. He never really misses games or seems to get hurt. He's a true freak. He's in the prime of his career. What am I missing? Nothing, as far as I can see. But, okay, most disrespected is a big word this week when Russell Westbrook is getting laughed out of buildings, basically. <laughs> so the threshold has changed a little but, bit. <laughs> but he's earned he's earned the disrespect in a lot of ways. And also, like, absolutely, when you talk a lot of shit and you carry yourself a certain way and then you're on your way down, everybody lines up to get their punches in, right? With Giannis, it's like people are like begrudgingly respectful for him. And I, I don't really understand it. Maybe I'm arguing with the straw man. I don't know. No, you're not. I mean, just early this season, I think it was Tracy McGrady who was saying, oh, if Giannis played in our era, he would just be another guy. He wouldn't be as effective. It's weird that like you'll hear legends from previous generations say, oh, the Steph Currys couldn't cut it. But also Giannis, the guy who lives at the rim, plays completely inside, totally physical, all energy. I don't know how you can have it both ways. I don't know what they think the sweet spot of their game was that neither of those guys could have thrived. But Giannis is one of those one of those players who... I think in any era of NBA basketball could have been amazing, but is particularly empowered by this one, by putting the ball in his hands, by enabling him in that way. And once you do that, I mean, there's just no turning back. That's how you get to these MVP levels season after season after season to the point where I guess it's old hat at this point. I guess I guess we've already hit the voter fatigue stage at I think he's 27 years old, which yeah. is wild. But uh, he's incredible, an incredible two-way player. Well, what made you want to write this week's piece? What were you seeing 
that wasn't out there that you're like, I got to do this? Well, I think there's a combination of things. First, it was just the narrowing of the MVP race to Jokic and Embiid. When to me, it was a three, it was a three man pool. It was how are we parsing these three guys? And yep. why is Giannis being boxed out of this conversation? But we're also at the point in terms of awards voting and consideration where it's it's kind of why not season. You know, like, why shouldn't I vote Carl Anthony Towns all NBA center third team over Rudy Gobert? Like, why wouldn't I do that? And so it's like, if you're thinking about who the why not MVP pick is, I mean, I think you can make an argument for Luca with how strong he's come on over the back half of the season. But for me, it's Giannis. And it's, you look at every advanced stat and Giannis is right there in the thick of it, usually with Jokic, usually above Embiid. And I mean, it's not a terribly complicated calculus that I arrived at, which is, and we uh, talked about this in the piece, if Giannis is right there in the running for the scoring title, and he might be the defensive player of the year, how is that guy not the MVP? And his stats are slightly better than Embiid's. If you're just going offense, offense, it's weird. Look, I've been talking about this for, I feel like my whole life that I've had a platform of how the MVP becomes narratives. And People got seduced by the Embiid narrative pretty early on. It doesn't mean that he's not a worthy candidate. Yeah. But he hasn't won before. He took a step up. He's had some game, some nationally televised games where he kicked ass. And I think people, Giannis has reached this weird point where people kind of expect it. And it's hard for them to be impressed by him. But I, I'm constantly impressed by him. I, as... As I've discussed many times, I feel like the MVP is always evolving week to week. And that's why it's so dangerous to lock into anything before like the last 10 games. Totally. I always felt like it was a three-man race. Last week, I I was definitely leaning toward Jokic just because I'm constantly amazed by how kind of unreliable his team is, you know? And I felt like if the records were all going to be around the same with Milwaukee and Denver and Philly, then we have to think like, all right, now we're going degree of difficulty. Mm-hmm. All, all three guys have credentials. and then de- But the thing that's changing with Milwaukee is they're finally starting to play really well. They might end up getting a two seed. They might end up having, you know, the third or fourth best record in the league. Who knows? Yeah. And Giannis was the guy that kept it together. And the Middleton-Drew thing, that's starting to, that big three piece that they, you know, Middleton was the guy who just wasn't as good this year as he was last year. Post-All-Star, I think he's like 26 a game. And is looking like Middleton again. So now that's back. Now Lopez comes back. And, you know, I look at it this way. Milwaukee's not going to be scared of playing Brooklyn in round one. I think Philly is. I think Philly's going to do a lot of chicanery to get out of that potential two spot and move down. Milwaukee will welcome it. And they already know they beat Brooklyn. Now they beat a little slightly compromised Brooklyn, but I think they match up really well with Brooklyn. That's kind of, isn't that the worst case scenario for Brooklyn if my if Milwaukee's sitting there in a 2-7? I mean, I think they would have to feel confident about what Durant can get. The question is, are all the other guys going to be in positions to score to succeed? Because we've, we've seen that play out, right? We've yep. seen that what this matchup looks like, and now P.J. Tucker isn't even there to make Durant work for it, which means you're straining Drew Holiday more and Chris Middleton more. I mean, most likely those guys are going to have to have heavy two-way shifts all throughout that series, which is just yep. really draining, if you're not going to put that on Giannis, which I don't think you should for a variety of reasons. But so, I mean, that is tough, but what Milwaukee has is the confidence they can win. And what Philly has is all this emotional charge and baggage because of the dynamics between them and the Nets. That would be, it would be such a weird toss-up kind of series because we all know the Nets are better 
than their standing and their record. We, I mean, we've seen Kevin Durant go toe-to-toe with pretty much anyone. Yeah. Kyrie Irving has been unbelievable, especially over these last couple weeks when he can play. And no one wants a part of that, least of all the Sixers, even though I'm sure they want to show, you know, teach Ben Simmons something and prove something to themselves and all that. Uh, but Milwaukee's just in a different place. There's, in terms of confidence as an organization, in terms of the lineups they put on the floor, you win a championship, you're in a different place. To take on Brooklyn, I need speed and athleticism. I need to be able to take advantage of the fact that they still don't have the right kind of size, depending yeah. on how you feel about Drummond, who I just do not trust in a playoff series. But ultimately, the kind of team they have probably goes a little smaller. I don't think we're going to see Simmons this year. And I think that might be okay for Brooklyn. I don't know if they necessarily need him because just getting Harden, an unhappy Harden off the team, and flipping him for Curry and Drummond might have been just better off for them this year anyway. Sure. Um, the Kyrie piece, who, you know, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about if, was, is this what it would look like if players only played once a week? Would they, like, because the Kyrie's, in my opinion, the, this is the best he's ever looked. I always thought he was exceptionally talented. It was the off-the-court stuff that really, you know, was the issue with him more than anything and he, just him being unreliable in a variety of ways. But talent-wise, I think everybody agrees he's as talented as any guy in the league. And the stuff he did the last couple games makes you think, like, is this what would happen if we had, like, if it was like a Premier League season where it was just 35 NBA games and everybody yeah. was at the peak of their athletic powers. Anyway. Milwaukee with Holiday, I think, is in the best position to at least not contain him. But, you know, they have multiple guys they can throw at him and then Giannis protecting the rim. I would think that's the worst matchup for him. Not that there is a worst matchup. But, um, and then the Giannis Durant part, if they cancel each other out, now we're talking role players. And I just like how they shape up in that series. What am I missing? Well, I think the, the interesting dynamic there for Brooklyn is they are so small on the perimeter. They have so many guards they're trying to fit into the rotation. That's where guys like Drew and Chris Middleton eat. Yeah, like Chris Middleton will post Patty Mills into the basket. Drew Holiday will body those guys all the way into layups. If they're getting easy baskets out of those kinds of matchups, and again, it's not just Mills. It's, you know, Goran Dragic is in that mix now. You got Seth Curry, who's undersized, obviously. Uh, even Bruce Brown, who's probably the best defender of the bunch. You're giving up a ton of height. Yeah, And so if, you, if you're getting that much height across that many different matchups and you have Giannis, who's just the, biz, the biggest, most physical player on the floor, I think there's a recipe there for Milwaukee to just eat at the rim, to eat on some pretty sustainable, easy baskets all series long. The Utah game is a good example on Monday night. They beat Utah. All three guys played really well. And you think, you know, one of the things when they're really working as a team is three guys who can create a create a shot, especially yeah. in the last five minutes, which is something I talked about the other day with Jackie. Like, it's my fear with the Celtics team. What happens when things really slow down and they just like, Tatum, you're, we're just trapping you every time we're double teaming you. Like somebody else has to beat us. Milwaukee has that covered. So does Brooklyn, honestly. Um, there are so many guys, and this is why the East is going to be an amazing playoffs, oh. I think. They, there's just so many guys who can create a shot in the East. Even Chicago, and we should audible to Chicago. In Chicago, the Celtics were nine and a half games back from Chicago on January 7th and have now passed them in the standings. And Chicago is going to be probably a five-seed or a six-seed. Yeah. But they're also going to have all their guys back by the time the playoffs start, I would guess, maybe even Patrick Williams. 
Hopefully. And, yeah. And that's, I'm positive a team I don't want to play, but that's a team that has two guys at the end of the game who can create shots and three, if you include Vucevic, um, where do you see Chicago? What have you seen from them? The trouble with them is obviously they've had really strong performances in crunch time. As you're saying, DeMar DeRozan, just great at manufacturing shots in those situations this season. But more broadly, when they've played against good teams, it just hasn't quite been there. And some of that is yep. the injury stuff. It's going, you know, not just one injury, but two and three spots down on the depth chart where guys are just being asked to do a little bit too much. And so I don't know how much of it is that and how much of it is something endemic to who they are as a team and how they defend. And, you know, Zach Levine being pretty much, he's going to be banged up for the rest of the season. He's kind of waiting to deal with his stuff in the offseason injury-wise. Not but, awesome. Yeah, not, not great. But against the top 10 point differential teams this season, they are 6-14. and 14. They're okay on offense, ninth, which is about where they are usually. 26th on, on defense in those games. That really worries me. And I know, again, a lot of that is without Alex Caruso, without Lonzo Ball. Hopefully those, you know, Lonzo in particular is back at some point. Caruso still seems like he's getting back into the swing of things, uh, still feeling some sensitivity and some, some pain from his, his injury. You have to hope those guys are there because there's so much on their shoulders to fly around defensively, to cover for everything some of these other guys can't do. I worry about that in a playoff matchup for them, especially as so many of these other teams in the East and the Celtics case in point, are just coming on really strong at the right time in the season. They're playing with a lot of confidence. Mm. That's not a situation you want to run into. Yeah, I wonder with Chicago, is there, and I, I say this delicately, could they be this year's version of last year's Knicks? Mm. Where, you know, that Randall last year, DeRozan this year, right? The guy who definitely takes a step up and is kind of lingering on the, on the fringes of the MVP conversation. Great home crowd. Um, unexpectedly fun team to watch. But when we get to the playoffs, does some of this start, some of this stuff unravel? I think the home crowd thing is going to be a big factor for them in the playoffs, though. That is not a place like, especially if they're a lower seed and you're talking, you're down 2-1 in a game four mm -hmm. there, that crowd's going to be lit. You're down 3-2 in a game six, and now you have to go to Chicago. Like that, it's going to be a really hard place to play. Um, I, I just don't think they've had the reps together. And that's another thing. Like, I, I don't think we factor in enough with the playoffs. And I, I think it's a huge advantage for Boston that the guys have played together, you know, as many minutes and games as they have. Just like, you know, Tatum and Brown have been five years together at this point. And Rob Williams doesn't seem like it, but he's been on the team now for four years. And yeah. going down the line, everybody but White has just been there. And White's a guy who can step in and play with anybody. But then you look at Chicago, so their five best guys, how many games have they played together? Like 18, 20? Exceptionally few. And, and to your point about the playoffs, I mean, DeMar DeRozan has been brilliant this season. Historically, that dream ends in the playoffs. And, right. you know, his, his game falls into a different gear in terms of when people start game planning for him, when defenses key in on him. That said, the last time we saw him in real playoff runs, he wasn't the playmaker he is now. He yeah. wasn't as in command of getting to his spots as he is now. There was just a different quality to his game. So I hope that has changed. I hope there's just a different uh, way he's able to lock into some of those matchups and exploit things. But we haven't seen it yet. And I, I, I'm with you on the Boston part of this where they kind of hit on the sweet spot at the trade deadline of obviously they were already playing very well, but yeah. they made a move that improved them without dramatically overhauling their team where they have to think about 
the things that Philly does. Like, how do we change so much so quickly? Or Chicago, as you're saying, how do we get all our guys back in time to feel like we're in rhythm when they've only played so many games together so far? Boston has the continuity and this extra piece that's kind of pushed them into a different space, which that's where you want to be if you're going to make a deal like that. Yeah, my fear, if it's Celtics, Bulls, 3-6, which is very possible. And now, in Chicago has all their guys back. Now we're in the last four minutes of a game and they're mm-hmm. just trapping Tatum on, on the Celtics side of the ball. Yep. And then the other side is DeRozan doing the stuff he's done all year. I'm nervous. Because I do feel like the one issue with the Celtics all year is they look awesome in these games. Like last night with the Warriors. It's like, they looked awesome that game. Well, guess what? That game wasn't ever really close. Yep. If you've watched them all year, the last four minutes when it's tight, when it slows down, you got it. And Tatum has gotten incredible as a decision maker. I certainly was hoping this would always come from him, and it has. But when the team start trapping, all of a sudden Marcus has the ball with a minute left. And whereas like Chicago, it's like DeRozan and Levine, this is what we're doing. And Vucevic has always killed the Celtics. So I'm hoping it's Philly, Chicago, four five, and that they don't see the Bulls because I'm scared of as as little of reps of they've had. I'm still a little scared of seeing them. I don't like these teams that where they have the guy who you just know can get two points with two minutes left. That's a, that's Phoenix is like that too, right? I just don't want to oh, play absolutely. that team in a playoff series. <laughs> like they're going to get good shots every time. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about something I can't believe I'm going to say. The Minnesota Timberwolves. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident, and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. All right, the T-Wolves, this feels real. What's going on? It kind of feels like an arrival, doesn't it? Like, I mean, they're clowning the Lakers in this big public way. But beyond that, I think, you know, they're, the vibes with that team seem like they're in a really good place. The momentum, the confidence of these young guys coming into their own is something we haven't really seen before. We've had a lot of false starts with the Wolves. You know, we had the Jimmy Butler blip. Mm. Fell apart Although they for... Were a little, they were a little better that year than I think people remember now. Like, they remember they had a nice, like, 50-game run there that was, like, pretty legit, but then it fell apart. 
yeah, they were a good team. They just fell apart for interpersonal reasons. And so that's why this feels a little more sustainable. It feels like they're growing something for the first time in a long time. And some of that is, you know, players you would expect. It's the Towns and the Edwards. Some of it is players you might not. I think Russell has been quietly really important for them this year. Has had some nice chemistry with some of their role players. Done a really nice job. And so it's just like guys who have been put in spots they haven't necessarily been in before. Like Jared Vanderbilt is just like a defensive anchor now. That's what he does. And he's you know dragging a team with Carl Anthony Towns, a center we were told and thought may not ever be a high-level defensive center, but has held his own, has done his job. And that's just kind of what you see up and down the rosters. Like this is a team that does its job now. And that kind of competence, that kind of uh, building block, that's, that's where you want to be as a young team. That's where you want to start making strides and thinking about the future is, okay, we have this set. We can beat all the teams we think we're better than. We can beat those teams. Now it's how do we get into this next class with you know the Mavs and the Nuggets and the Jazz and that group. You think about a playoff series, right? You only have to win four of seven. I'm not breaking news there. They're kind of a nice playoff series team where... Russell's going to suck in two of the games, right? He'll go two for, like last night he was two for 11, but he'll have like the two for 15, but he'll also have the game when he has like 37 points and hits five threes. And you can't believe you just lost at home to the Timberwolves. They have the random Beasley game looming. (laughs) I mean, Beasley's had one of the weirder seasons of, I think any expensive role player where if you catch him on the right night, he's a little like TJ Warren, where you're like, is that like one of the five best players in the league? What's going on here? <laughs> he said 37 points in 25 minutes. Um, but then ultimately the pedigree of the three guys, right? Towns was the first pick in the draft. Edwards was the first pick in the draft. Russell was second. Like at some point, you know, this is a rocket science. And it's like, these were three really highly valued talents. Two of them are playing really well. And as you said, Russell's coming on. I guess, the well, let's talk Towns first. I actually believe this is the best he's ever played. Yeah. There's a little bit of a fuck you to him now that I like. And I don't know if it's just because he's matured and gotten older. I think his personal life's, he had a lot of shit go on with him behind the scenes the last couple of years. It seems a little more stable, but he's like 25 and 10 every night now and does seem like he's better defensively. I, to me, it's like, he's clearly an all NBA guy for me as I start thinking about my vote. He might even creep onto the second team the way this is going. Oh, wow. I I have him over Gobert. Like that's to me is like that's oh done you're already. done open and shut yeah. done closed. I'm just not a Gobert guy. I'm just not. Mm. I'm, I can't get there. But whether Towns can get to the second team, I think is the question. You got a little flexibility at forward center, but what what's has anything changed or has he just gotten better at everything? What do you see? I think it's the difference between you know if we flash back to the Jimmy Butler version of the Wolves, for example, there was that hesitance to call for the ball in the post to get to his spots to again exert himself and have that kind of fuck you quality in some ways and maybe that maybe he was delegating that maybe that was Jimmy Butler's job I don't know but there is a difference in that capacity in just the like go to give me the ball I'm going to work over this mismatch teams yeah. are all their teams are always trying to guard him with smaller guys and then you know bring extra help and I think he increasingly takes that challenge. He increasingly looks to go at those matchups and prove that that's not going to work against me. And that's kind of one of the trials that all young stars have to go through, right? Is like whatever the first and second rule of how to guard you is, how are you going to break it down? And he's been dismantling a lot of those matchups, a lot of those strategies. So he's... And even even when he doesn't dismantle it, he's at least trying to dismantle it. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's the thing I've noticed is he at least sees now... You know, like somebody like Aiton, 
I liked that game uh, the other night against the Warriors when he was like, you know, like I have a mismatch. Let me go to me. Mm-hmm. Go to me. I have the advantage. I think it was the Warriors. Who was I watching that? They were on TV. Was it? I don't think it was the Warriors. It was the that Warriors. No, well. it was last week. It was, I'm blanking on who they were playing. But he had, oh, the Lakers. Um, where it's just like, give me the ball. Like they're playing LeBron at center. Like I can, I can do stuff. Um, with Towns, you just see him mentally going, all right, I'm, I'm taking this a little personally that this guy's on me. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't want to make too much of beating up on the Lakers because everyone's doing it these days and anyone who's young and athletic can do it. But I did like their, they had a little swagger to them and some of those clips and the, the Patrick Beverly stuff. And, yes. um, it's a little F you to them. It's certainly a team that's not going to be afraid in a two, seven matchup. I don't you think. you need to have that defiance as a young team because you're not there in terms of all of the technical aspects of reading the game yet. Like Anthony Edwards feels like a player to me who is due for a you know like young Donovan Mitchell kind of reckoning where he goes into a playoff Ooh. series, he sees a lot of pressure. He's going to have some amazing plays, and then he's going to have a lot of sequences where he doesn't read the floor quite right yet. Yeah, that's just that's just what you go through, and so to compensate for that. You got to have the fuck you. You got to be willing to get into these guys' faces and and have an energy they're not going to have because, you know, they're just 30-somethings trying to get through the season and you, you just have a different gear. If I were them, I would rather play Golden State than Memphis, as crazy as that sounds. Especially, we didn't even talk about the Steph sprained foot, might not be ready until the playoffs. So you yeah. might there might be a world where you're playing Steph, but he's not 100% yet. This Warriors team can't seem to all be healthy at the same time. Minnesota versus Memphis. Memphis just kind of does what Minnesota does better. They same kind of young fuck you thing, but they just have better players. So I think that would be, I wouldn't be psyched if I was Minnesota for that one. I, weirdly, Golden State, which would be hilarious because this Russell trade that seemed like the worst trade in the world even two months ago, now Russell's tailed off big time. I still love Kaminga. I mean, I they got... He's been Kaminga awesome. Was, was the prize out of that. So you, if you're Minnesota, that trade's still a disaster. But at least, you know, they have a little history on both sides and that would be a fun one. Well, but, the danger in that matchup is, you know, Andrew Wiggins isn't playing right now. But I wouldn't want to play him if I was one of his former teams that traded him away because those are the games he really gets up for. That he is like, oh, this is the guy who could, that was the number one pick, Andrew Wiggins, versus this is the guy kind of floating around the perimeter and doing his mm-hmm. job and being a role player. To the extent that Andrew Wiggins scares you at all. Right. I, I Reven- know, maybe, Revenge maybe Andrew Wiggins is the only one that's scary. You know, my dad, who hasn't really watched the Warriors this year because they're always on too late, and he watched the whole Celtic game, and I was talking to him this morning. He's like, where'd that pool come from? <laughs> that guy's amazing, which seems to be everybody's reaction. Pool, is, I think, has been like the breakout, where did that guy come from guy this year. Well, you don't need Steph Curry when you have Jordan Poole, apparently. No. He's just going to go I mean, for ni- 19 in the third quarter. No problem. Make it look easy. It's like the 12th best player in the league. What do you, um, yeah, I don't... The Poole thing... I feel like if that hadn't happened for them, this is a completely different Warriors season. When you think of... all oh, They get they missed two months of clay. Draymond's out two and a half months. Now Steph's hurt. And the, the Poole piece of it, where you've just seen him like take over quarters. Yeah. He's going to be... He's one of my favorite. I can't wait to see this guy in the playoffs, guys. Edwards, I think, could be pretty clumsy. We've, as you said, we've seen this version before where it's like, oh, this guy, bigger stage, trying to do yeah. everything. 
it could it could go you could go anyway with that. But Minnesota was under five hundred at the yeah they're they're like the Celtics they were twenty five and twenty five they're actually twenty four and twenty five now they're forty one and thirty so there's seventeen wow. and five run that's seventeen and five is like a legit run if you're you know that's something and they're blowing you, out teams too you think like they won by twenty they beat San Antonio by ten they beat Oklahoma City by thirty they beat Portland by forty three they beat Portland again by fourteen they beat Oklahoma City by thirty seven these are bad teams. But that's a good sign that they're beating the shit out of bad teams. Absolutely. And that's where the swag comes from. Like, yeah. we, and, we, and again, for an organization that just so badly needs that kind of progress. We were talking about this on group chat, but now they're, they're one win away from their second winning season since 2005. Like that is as, drought, as much a drought as you're going to get in the NBA. They, they really need this in such a big way. And it's, it's cool to see the team and the city energized and tapped into in a way with just... Again, for a lot of fans, NBA lifetimes, they may not have ever seen before. You say that's as much of a drought as you're going to see in the NBA. And the Sacramento fans are like, Rob, we're right over there. here. <laughs> we're over here. We haven't been the playoffs since 2006. Kings we're erasure right yet again. Um, the Fox thing since the Halliburton trade is officially interesting, though. I felt like Fox could have been had by anybody. The Knicks could have had him for Randall in five seconds. And I think the Kings like Fox more than most. They believed in him. I was, I was out on Fox, but I think he's like 29 a game since that trade and has something with Sabonis. Yep. And yeah, I don't ask me why I know this, but I, you know, you're on the West coast. Like sometimes you're just starving for a quarter or a half to watch. Absolutely. The Sabonis Fox thing, there's something there. Like I, you know, I, I still wouldn't have traded Halliburton. I still am always going to try to keep the guys who like being in Sacramento. Um, but then even when Sabonis isn't out there, Fox, just without Halliburton, it kind of looks like he's like, this is my team now kind of look. Um, I don't know. I guess that's that's something, Sacramento. Well, I think the reason to be optimistic about the Fox and Sabonis pairing is like what made that trade weird when they traded for Sabonis it wasn't really about them two. It was about the rest of the roster around them and whether it yep. fit and made sense. And it's like, if you have to tear the rest of the roster down to studs to make this pairing make sense, is that worth it? What does that do to your timeline? What does that mean for everyone who's currently working for your team? Because they kind of, they do work. Like they have a good handoff chemistry. They're starting yep. to find kind of like the timing of each other's games in a way that I think is going to be really productive. And as you're saying, has already been very productive by the box score. Translating that stuff to winning games, again, it really it's really not about them. It's like, can you get the shooting around them? Can you get the complementary defense around them to make all that stuff work? I, I think betting on that pairing, you can see how they got to the place where like, okay, Sabonis is a guy who could be a long-term fit next to De'Aaron Fox, if you know, considering how much we're bought in on the idea of what Fox can be. At the very least, it seems like they were vindicated, not panicking with Fox. Because I think I would have panicked if I was the Kings GM. So I would have been like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I think this guy's overpaid and I don't think he has it. But now you're looking at it going, eh, maybe he just had the wrong guys around him and maybe there's more here than I realized. What, uh, we mentioned Jordan Poole earlier. Let's wrap on this before, um, over the course of this season, which guys have won you over, which guys that you didn't realize you wanted stock in? Or that you were even considering on your stock portfolio, who who is uh, who sucked in? 
Well, let me start with a, an apology. I was a little sassy, I would say, when uh, the Chris Depp's Porzingis trade happened in particular. I just like oh did not God. like... You're going here right away? Wow. Well, I, d- I didn't like what the Mavs got back. Okay. I was like, you know, I see why you would want to move on from KP. I see why you would want to reset your roster. But is Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans really how we want to do this? And Spencer Dinwiddie has been unbelievable. I, yeah. I, have, I have no idea how to square the player we saw in Washington and the player we're seeing in Dallas now. But clearly he was there all along. Clearly there was something wrong in the mix with the Wizards that was not allowing him to be this kind of guy because we're coming off of him hitting back-to-back game winners. He's had just incredible fourth quarters across the board, been exactly the kind of ball handler they need, has the length to be you know, a defender in these basically three-guard, three-ball handler lineups that they're rolling out. I was I was flat wrong about the impact he was going to have on the Mavs. He's been tremendous and has totally won me over over these last couple of weeks. It's interesting. Seth was really good. And we, we have Seth's wife coming later on the podcast. <laughs> but Seth was really good playing with Luca. I felt like. I, yeah. I really liked that pairing. Trey Burke had a couple moments. Sure. I don't know what happened to him, but there was that weird Trey Burke stretch. What was that, two years ago? Maybe it was in, in the, the bubble? In the bubble, I think, yeah. Yeah, where... Something about Luca's game translates to these slash and kick guards who can make quick decisions, who can shoot threes, but yep. can also like slash and kick. And you could see it watching that whole Celtic game where it was, it's like, it's sloppy, it's disjointed, everyone's trying hard. But then in the last five minutes when it really slows down and Luca just becomes like the fucking brain surgeon of the game and he's got these guys spaced in the right ways and you're watching it going, fuck, how do we, What's the plan here? How do we stop this? And it's like, you know, it's Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie. It's not yeah. like we're talking about the best guys in the league. But I agree with you. It it makes sense. It's logical. It was a really good trade. And I don't I don't think it's a fluke. I'm with you. I, I do feel like maybe this is the kind of situation Dinwiddie needed to be in. And we've seen, I don't know, we've seen guys over the years, right? Like Derek Fisher, who is a weird player in general, but made sense in the Lakers. And then yep. when he went to Oklahoma City, didn't all of a sudden didn't make the same kind of sense. Some guys, sometimes just guys find the right fit. More important to them is, I think they realized, and I think Kid probably specifically realized, like, I want to compete in the playoffs and I want to win playoff series. I can't count on Porzingis. And I, I ultimately, I don't think he should be out there for us. And once they got to that conclusion, and he actually talked Cuban in a trading Porzingis, and the uh, and Nico Harris and all those guys. That was the hardest part of that trade. It was it was mm. less even what they got back. Just like, hey, this is a sunk cost. We have to move on. But then they get these guys back who are actually, you know, in Dinwiddie's case, really helping them. So yeah, I'm with you. Good one. Who else do you have? I mean, this this might be going full galaxy brain, and I'm really coming around the bend. But I have been historically, I would say, pretty low on Kyrie, and these last couple weeks, it's just like undeniable how incredible he is as a shot maker. You know the talent is there. You know the skill is there. I've always felt like there was something a little empty. And I guess, I mean, to some extent, there still is. You know, he he is at least partly responsible for the destruction of a super team. But if I, just on the nights where I turn on my TV and I get to watch Kyrie Irving play basketball, I'm finding those nights a lot more enjoyable than I used to. And some of it is just, his game is cleaned up a lot in ways that we don't usually talk about in terms of his decision making, when he plays with other stars, the way he cuts and moves and defends. I, I just really like the state of his game now in a way that goes well beyond like, let me put together this, you know, three minute highlight reel of his amazing handle. Like that stuff is all there. But I think there is a substance to his game that I appreciate 
now more than ever. I don't know if that says more about me or about him, but it says something. He had, when he came to Boston, they had the big win streak to start. Hayward got hurt in five minutes and then the team mm-hmm. kept winning and he was just brilliant the entire time. And it, it was like beyond stats. He just had such control of the Presidians. It was probably the best he played in Boston. And it didn't end well, obviously. And that, as I joked many times, I would drive him to the airport. But watching him day to day, like he did do stuff that I'd just never seen a guard do before. You know, and we had had, when I was a kid, we had Tiny Archibald, who was a little bit like that, where he just did, he had a command of the game and an ability to just kind of get into the paint that just nobody else had. Kyrie's ability to score with either hand from on either side of the backboard, to go into people, to bounce off big guys, still get yep. a shot off. Like, that was the coolest thing about watching him. It feels like this version of him, he's kind of perfected some of this stuff. It's like it's kind of shocking if he if he's healthy and out there that he's not going to get thirty, because it doesn't seem like anyone has any chance to stop him. And I'm with you, like I do. I have found myself gravitating to these Nets games since the trade. I also like how he plays with Curry. Oh yeah, and I, I think the two of them together, and you could feel it when the Celtics had that great game against them, and Durant was so hard to, to double him or trap him because you Curry and Kyrie in these two separate parts, and then you think like. Fuck, thank God they don't have Joe Harris. Oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> with with these two. But yeah, I Kyrie's just incredible. I, I think Harden has surpassed him as my least favorite NBA star. Oh wow. Yeah. Race to yeah, the bottom. I think that's how this has played out because Kyrie just going toe to toe with him and really sticking it to him and guarding him and kind of alphaing him. I really I enjoyed it. I liked it. That was a good game. Well, congrats to Kyrie Irving on moving out of the, the bottom spot. Yeah, well, and also the thing with Kyrie, and this is, I remember when Katie and I did the pods and Katie raved about him that time and he thought he was more skilled than Allen Iverson and everybody lost their shit because he, he was like, don't say ever, anything ever bad about Iverson. <laughs> I agreed with him. I think he's the best, he's the most talented small guard I've ever seen. I don't think, I don't know if that's going to translate to titles again. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want him on my team. I don't know if I'd want to play with him, but just fundamentally, if we, if you and I sat down for three hours and we made a checklist of all the things that would make a six foot one and under guy be special, he probably has the most qualities. Chris Paul is the most successful, I would say six feet and under player we've had, but Kyrie has to be the most talented. I think everybody feels that way. I don't even think that's a controversial opinion. Yeah, I think the combination of skills, again, is undeniable. And it really has been for a long time. The question is, how healthy is he? What is he doing to your team? How do those skills manifest in terms of the shots he takes and the decisions he makes? And that's where I I almost think he's made kind of a DeRozan-like arc in terms of knowing who he is a little bit more, settling for the empty calorie stuff just a little bit less. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it in a way I, I never would have expected. Even looking at his stats, and he hasn't played a ton of games. Right. He played 20 games two years ago, 54 last season, 19 this season, which is pretty, you think like 19 that's games. his Brooklyn career. He's played 74, 93 regular season games in three years. That's insane. But he's been 27, 28 points a game that entire time. He's been a 50, 40, 90 guy that entire time. This year, he's a 49, 43, 90 guy. Mm-hmm. Um, playing 36 minutes a game, but only playing 19 games. It's going to be, 
one of those things, like sometimes I would look, especially when I was doing my book and you go and you look at these seasons, like there'd be like these Rick Barry ABA seasons. You're just like, what happened that year? You just have no answers. <laughs> I do wonder like 50 years from now, people will be on basketball reference, like Kyrie Irving, the fuck was going on in those three <laughs> Brooklyn years? But that's, he's the defining what the fuck was going on with that guy, star of his generation. I do, well, not I, think wanna, he, I do not want to see him in a playoff series. I think you pinpointed it already. You know, 50 years from now, we're going to look back at him as the pioneer of the once a week NBA scarcity model. You know, once <laughs> right. the schedule is down to 20, 30 games, he's going to be at the, at the front of that vanguard. I think LeBron would do this if he didn't have so many career stuff things at stake. Because hmm. the, the LeBron model is clearly the, the, this Kyrie model. If he could play like 40 games a year and just be incredible in the 40 games. But he's... Now he's he's got to chase the stats at this point, especially with how this brutal Lakers season has gone. I stand by. I made a prediction, I think, three weeks ago, that Westbrook would not finish the season, and that there will be some fake Westbrook injury. And I am feeling better and better about that yeah. prediction than I think I ever have. Yeah, I think the Simmons thing that seems like the back thing might actually be real. I did what I did not believe it. I thought it was an excuse until yesterday when they taught when he, they said he had an epidural. Yeah. As you know, Rob, I'm one of the premier bad back experts on the planet. Epidural is, you get an epidural, that's like something's wrong. And I was thinking, because my theory on bad backs is it's stress. It's like stress and sitting habits. Mm. Unless you've had like some sort of traumatic injury, which obviously he hasn't had because he hasn't played. Stress and sitting habits. The stress of the last 10 months, I think, because the one time my back went out, it was more stress related than anything. And I wonder if the stress from the last 10 months blew out his back. Weird so theory. You, you don't think it's the sitting habits with him? You don't think he has bloggers back is what you're saying? A combo. Oh, okay. I think, yeah, I think bad sitting habits with the stress and that then something goes and something, and then that's all of a sudden you're getting an epidural. But yeah, mm. Ben Simmons, unstress yourself, better sitting habits. That would be my, uh, my advice for you. Any other players that won you over before we go? Let me, let me do a rapid fire couple. Uh, yeah. Tyler Hero, who yeah. I saw the flash in the pan in the bubble. I was like, is this guy going to be for real? He is extremely for real. Very good player. Uh, DeJounte he's a, he's Murray. on a couple of lists. T Tyler Hero is also on the guys I can't believe might decide somebody's playoff destiny list. Yeah. Because there's going to be games where it's like, if Tyler Hero has to score here, Miami's going to lose game six. You know? <laughs> anyway, DeJounte Murray. Or they're going to bounce somebody because he's their best half-court option sometimes. Right. But yeah, DeJounte Murray... His playmaking, I was always kind of into him as a defender, but as a lead guard, I'm kind of buying it in a way I didn't before. Um, I, I'm 90% there, but Ja destroying him that game, I can't, I need to take a pill tough. to get that out of my head. Because the Spurs were trying and Murray was trying and he was helpless. But I'm with you. He's got like, it's weird. He's got that same kind of Gilbert Arenas body with the big, broad shoulders and just seems like the way he moves around and it just seems like he'd be absolute an absolute bitch to play against. Oh, long, incredible arms, driver, strong. Like I just would not want to play against that guy. All right. Who's next? Uh, at the risk of, you know, lowering the live cow into the Raptor pen here, Rob Williams. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to see his evolution and role and not be bought into that prospect. I was probably the last Celtics fan <laughs> to buy in, but, but I, you I'm got in. there. You got there in the end. I, um, he's amazingly consistent. I got to yeah. say, I don't even think about him anymore. He's going to get 
13 points, 10 rebounds. He's going to block two shots. He'll have two alley-oops. He runs the floor. He tries hard. He gives a shit. There was a great play. I think it was in the second quarter of that game against the Warriors where Jordan Poole tried to sneak a cut into the middle of the floor to just like see if he could get a layup through the teeth of the defense. And Rob Williams just ate it alive. And it's like all that kind of easy stuff teams were getting before. Yeah. Moving him off the ball, enabling him as a rover. It's really changed a lot of his game. He's He's been really good. Um, One thing Wendell, with him is he he has a lot of wow plays. Yeah. Like day-to-day watching. He's like kind of the wow guy in the Celtics this year where he's like, Jesus, like these blocks, that blindside blocks out of nowhere or alley-oop that's behind his head yep. and he gets it anyway. Next one. Where are you on Wendell Carter Jr.? I don't know how much magic basketball you've been treating yourself to these days. Shockingly, more than you'd expect. <laughs> I'm here for the Wagner brothers being reunited. Sure. Um, no, I haven't seen that much, but it, though, I've always liked Wendell Carter and he's like 22 years old. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like you get these top seven draft picks who are in a bad situation and you go to the second team and, you know, and they're still like not even in their mid 20s yet. He might be 23. I don't know, but it's, I, there's stuff there. I, I think he's actually, you can post him up. Yeah. And he can create some stuff. And I don't know. He's a good rebounder. He's, he's definitely an above average player. Yeah. It's like if you want to be a big who isn't just going to be ducking in for, for dunks and alley oops and, you know, getting stuff out of the dunker spot, you got to have a little bit more of a diverse perimeter game. And so it's like if you're going to do the handoffs and all that stuff, you got to be able to trust your jumper. That's where the evolution for him has been is like he seems like he's really confident in that little turnaround and facing up in attacking in just like a different way that opens up the game for him. So I see I see potential there I wasn't quite sure about when he got to Orlando. The Vooch trade's tough because you have to add DeRozan to it. Yep. Because I don't think DeRozan goes there if it's not Vooch and Levine. And also, it helps keep Levine there. I get all of it. But man, if you're just talking about Carter, and I think it was the seventh pick, which was the Wagner pick, or the eighth pick, was a, a Wagner was the pick from the Vooch trade, right? I believe so. Plus Carter. And then there's another pick. That was a fucking awesome trade for Orlando. Great job. I like Wagner, but man, the Kaminga thing would be officially bothering me if I was a Magic fan at this point. You would That's, want you would want to just go full commitment to the no, Jonathan Isaac model and just bring in Kaminga? I wouldn't. I think they made the right choice. I or I think it worked out the right way for them. But I also think he's going to be awesome in the Warriors. Now, yep. it's like a chicken egg thing. Like, is he going to be awesome because he's on the Warriors? Because he's yep. in the right situation? Because, yeah, they, of course. But still, tough. Very tough. It's like, took Jalen Suggs. Could have Kaminga and Wagner, potentially. Mm. And I like yeah, I mean, Jalen Suggs. Was that your last guy? I, I mean, I got some, like, bit guy. You know, if you really want to get into the Amir Coffey, Jackson Hayes kind of category, we can do that. Wait, but Jackson Hayes, a little bit of a renaissance. The, the Hayes' might not, have been a terrible, might not have been a terrible pick. Yeah, they can play him at power forward now. Yeah. It's not terrible. No. Yeah. Okay. Rob Mahoney, good to see you as always. We can hear you in the Ringer NBA show. We can read you on theringer.com. Check out the honest piece he wrote. Uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks, Bill. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get warm. You're going to start wearing shorts. You're going to start wearing bathing suits. You're just You're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, 
it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, Callie Curry is here. We're taping this on Thursday morning. What a day to have her on. My uh, my favorite team, the Celtics, just injured <laughs> just injured her brother-in-law. Although I did not think it was a dirty play. I was taught, I don't know how you were taught, but I was taught to dive on the floor for loose balls. Yeah, I think, you know, Marcus is known as a hustler. It happens. I don't think it was purposeful. There are some plays, you know, that happen that you're like, eh, I don't know about that. I, I'm sure no one wishes, no one wants to hurt Steph, right? No. No one wants no, to hurt anyone. No, especially Steph. He's a national treasure. Um, <laughs> yeah. We have, we have, it, it took the spotlight away from in the last seven years, the Celtics have beaten Golden State and Golden State, I think, six times. I did not know that. Yeah. I don't, I don't I, know what it is, but they go there and they, and they really play well every time. They just have the, their mojo there. Six years is good because that means they won in Oakland too. I know. So you're married to Seth Curry. We're going to talk Bachelor, but okay. just before we, before we get into that. So he gets traded. You just, you just had your second kid. Your, yes. your, your younger son is six months old. You're living yes. in Philly. He's having a great season. Things are going really well. He's got chemistry with Embiid. And great then, chemistry. And then within 10 days, all of a sudden you're moving. What is it like from the wife family standpoint when you get traded in the middle of a season and you have two kids and yeah. you're just happy in your little place. Walk us through the experience. Uh, well, it's not ideal. I can, I can start off saying that. Um, I think I have become super paranoid. So I thought we were getting traded. So I think I mentally prepared for it. I was not mentally prepared for Dallas. I thought there was no way we would be traded. Um, so I actually cried when we got traded to Philly. Also, there was like a lot of layers to it, which, you know, made me cry. Um, right. <laughs> but, um, I did not cry this time. I think I was more prepared for it this time. Uh, it's just, it's not, I don't think it's not fun for anyone to be traded. Like, even if you ask to be traded, it's, that usually means something went wrong. It's just not a fun thing to be traded. Um, but my husband who, doesn't believe in worrying, doesn't really like nothing really gets him worked up. He's like, this his favorite line is it's part of the game. Like it's part of your job. It's what happens. Lucky for him, I moved around all the time with my dad. So I am used to that. I lived in 14 houses before I went to college. 
And I think seven <laughs> is that or true? eight states. Yeah. 14 houses? 14 houses. And I think seven or eight states. I always get confused. But yeah, because I was born when he was on the Hawks. So I went to every single team with him. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then I remember when he uh, told us when we were living in San Antonio that we were moving to Orlando for him to coach. And I remember being like, what? Like, you, you're not even a coach. Like, what are we? We're moving and you don't even you've never even talked about coaching. And now, obviously, it's been like 30 years since then. So I was wrong. He, right. is, he is. He loves coaching, actually. Um, so, I mean, now we're moving. Seth, Seth moved the day after the trade. Um, so we've been in Philly by ourselves now for like a little bit over a month and we will be moving in two weeks to New York. So um, they're throwing, so they're throwing them in a hotel. The trade happens. It's like, you got to get New York. Yep. Seth's in a hotel. Yes. You have to pack up yeah. wherever you're living in Philly, but then you're also now, are you like on Redfin? What do you, what, yeah. what's like your strategy? No, you get a realtor. I go, well, it's like, luckily I'm in Philly. So it's only an hour train ride. Um, and, other times, like when we were in Dallas, I had 24 hours. Like I flew to Philly, had 24 hours, had to find a spot that day. Um, got super lucky that we found an amazing place here in Philly. Um, found it, got it, and we moved a week later. This time, I, I got to go up and back to New York two or three times to find our place. By the way, market in New York, not super friendly right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so what are the to... factors? Do you want to be like close to the arena? Or are you thinking neighborhood? Like, So how do you figure that piece out? Yeah, I think I think you know it's normal to most people. Seth likes to be close to the practice facility. Um, yeah. He gets there really early. He does every ounce of treatment that is possible for one's body. He signs up for. Yeah. So he likes he likes being close and like for late night shooting and stuff. And then we're lucky in in Brooklyn that the arena and, and the practice facility aren't far away. Um. So we found a place that's close to both. We're in Brooklyn. Um. Which yeah. I'm excited about. It's a good neighborhood. You want to be able to take your kids outside close to parks. Um, I'm excited to move to Brooklyn. Listen, there's a lot There's a lot worse places to live. Well, nobody was more excited than uh, your bachelor party. One of, your, one of her co-hosts, <laughs> Juliet Lippman, was like, she's pretty selfish. I, I don't know if you realize that. But the moment the rumor started, she's like, oh, my God, Callie might be moving to New York. This By the is going to be great for us. I know. I'm so excited to meet her. So... This goes way better, I feel like, than if it had been like, oh, he's going to Sacramento or he's going to Phoenix or someplace where it's 3,000 miles away and you have to figure it out on the fly during the season. Yeah, it's way harder when it's far away. Uh, although you named two places I wouldn't mind. Seth loves Sacramento, weirdly. I don't know why. Really? Because usually when you ask people like ranking NBA city cities, Sacramento's not at the top of that list. Yeah. Uh, Seth played there and he loves Sacramento. It's also not far from like his brother. So that's like, a right, plus. right, right. Yeah. That's but, if no, I, I ran, if I ran Sacramento, I would just try to make a list of all the guys who love Sacramento. Like they traded, <laughs> they traded Halliburton and he was like, I'm bummed out. I loved it here. And I was like, how do you trade a guy who actually loved it here when it's so hard for them to keep people? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think he thought he was going to leave or wanted to leave. Um, and you know, it, it happened. He's young. He's figuring it out in Indy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Seth, Seth loves Zach. I haven't spent enough time there to say that I like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was one of the cities Doc never ended up in. I mean, he no, was pro probably those, in like seven or eight cities, right? We actually got really lucky with the cities. We were in Atlanta, LA, New York, San Antonio. I actually love San Antonio. I think it was the age that I was there. Yeah. Um, Orlando and Boston, not bad cities. So each time you're showing up and at some point you're like, 
your elementary school and then you're like a teenager and then you're yeah. and you're still like bouncing around. And- when he went to Boston, I was in high school and uh, I basically myself and my older brother were like, we're not moving. Right. So you stayed in Orlando, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was a yeah. sophomore in high school. My brother was a junior in high school. I think we were just too old. We both played sports and we're going to college for that sport. And um, at the time, I don't know if volleyball's gotten better, but it wasn't great in Boston. So I was just like, I can't, I can't move there. And that's it. Yeah. And then he would fly. I remember he would like doc would like fly back and all go back time. and forth, all that stuff. Wasn't yeah, that far I of a spend, fight? No. And I spent a good time there. Like we were up there basically like every summer because they were, well, not in the beginning, but at the end when they were in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, with, with the set thing, this trade feels like it was like, if you're going to get traded, this is the perfect trade because you had two weeks to prepare for it because there are all these rumors. Yeah. And plus Brooklyn was like, we're not doing this if Seth's not in it. So at least they know, you know that he was valued versus like being this salary cap throwing guy. And now he's on a team that has, you know, even though they're going to be the eight seed, they're, I, you know, I'm so as a Celtics fan, I'm certainly terrified of them. So they're going to be lurking. They have two of the best players in the league. Um, yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely have two of the best players in the league. Um, Kevin's actually my favorite basketball player to watch. So good basketball for me since I get to go to the games now. Um, best case scenario, you don't want to get traded to a team that's tanking. So yeah. it is a good... I think even though they're the eighth seed, I think they're considered a contender. I know the odds for them are probably higher than they should be based on what they have, have they how they have performed so far. But yeah. you're basically going from contender to contender. So he's he's not mad about it. How do you, why do you think it never worked out with him and the Warriors? Because when he was on there, I was like, I I was, I know you probably know this, but I was always, I was always a Seth guy. I was always like, cause I just love shooters. I yeah. always feel like shooters are going to figure it out at some point. And I'm always going to bet on like the guys who have that one elite skill. It's going to work out. Do you think he needed like his own? Yeah. He was always going to be in Steph's shadow there and it just had to be somewhere else. Um, Listen, I, my husband, I don't know if you've talked to him much, but he's not a huge talker, but he is Steph's like biggest supporter ever. I don't even yeah. think Steph knows it because he's probably never told him Right but from being around him. He is. He, he loves Steph, but I think everyone kind of needs their own thing. You have to yeah. create your own lane. Like, you know, I wouldn't say that my brother playing for my dad was the easiest thing ever. Like you, you, you want to create your own thing. Um, I mean, he left right before they went on a crazy run. So I'm sure he would have loved to get a few championships. Right. Um, but I'm glad he went somewhere else and figured it out. Uh, I think he's a much better player today because of it. I agree. I actually, especially because Steph became so famous there in the mid 2010s. Yeah. Know, I, I think it would have been hard to kind of pave your own way. I, I think you just mentioned him playing for your dad. Oh, Seth, that's or, one of those Seth that, or my brother? <laughs> no, Seth. That, yeah. um, I mean, were there moments where it's like, Jesus, why did he only play 20 minutes today, Dad? No. We actually had like the opposite because he had to play so much because there was some like injuries and stuff, especially this yeah. past year, that he probably played too many minutes, if anything. Um, I was really worried, really worried about it coming into it. Um, but... Did you talk any... about it? Did you talk about it with your dad? Mm, not really. I mean, we talked about it, but he just he acts like everything's going to be fine. Like it'll work out. It's all good. Whatever. Um, Seth kind of gets along with everyone. Like I don't really know yeah. anyone that dislikes him. Um, 
So it ended up working out fine. There was never, ever a moment where I, you know, there was a there was a brief, probably like five minute moment after the trade where I was not happy. But outside of that, it was fine. So you're not happy because it's just like this is too weird. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's just not fun getting traded. Yeah. But I mean, it's not even one person's fault. Like, obviously, there's multiple people making a decision. It's not like, you know, my dad led the charge or anything. Um, plus, there's a few guys that you can't be mad about getting traded for. You know? Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, okay. Let's let's pivot to The Bachelor. Okay. We were texting after... First of all, amazing comeback by the franchise this year. I think... Oh, I my think, gosh. I think they, they really... It. They remembered their roots, which is like, let's get a dumb guy in here and he'll do some dumb things and fought and make a lot of mistakes and we're off. And they cast the perfect guy. He fell in love with three people somehow, which I've never, I didn't even know was possible. I don't know if he understands the concept of love. Um, I don't think so. Sleeps with the first two who he told he loved, but then was really in love with the third person. And it turns into a whole disaster. The first two leave the show. He ends up with the third one, but they didn't get engaged. But what we really landed was the two that he slept with that he didn't, then they left, are now going to be the co-bachelorettes. Yeah. And we were talking about ideas for this. So we, go, with, go with the Joe Millionaire. Explain that whole concept to us. Well, first I want to say, I really wonder if, like you said, they went back to their roots, picked a maybe not the smartest guy in the world, whatever. Not Definitely not the best communicator. Did they <laughs> yeah, know? <laughs> did they know it was gonna go? Like they had to have known. Like, oh, this is gold. This guy is definitely gonna do something that will get our ratings back up. Like, it just worked out too perfectly for me to not think that they talked to him enough to know he's not gonna make some good decisions. I think that they were scouting, much like an NBA team would scout <laughs> and say, "We need shooting, or I need I need a rebounder, I need defense." They were just like, "I need mistakes." Is this guy going to make some mistakes? And he did. I mean, like world class mistakes, so bad. It was great though, great television. Very happy for the season, and I'm super excited about the next season. So, two women bachelorettes. One, do you think they would have done it if they were men leads? Would they have no. two men leads? Yeah. No. Okay. What's weird is like we've seen the reverse of this where the bachelorette gets a little frisky with multiple contestants. Yeah. And then it's <laughs> like, no, no, this is fine. But but for some reason, this felt like it was handled like it was like 2007. But they're trying to do this thing where these two, Rachel and Gabby, yeah. were bonded. We're bonded by their relationship with this guy. And he turned to be a bad guy. And they're going to be bad. And it's sisterhood thing. I am of the, I would rather see them compete for guys. I think they That's are going to compete. I think they are going to compete for guys whether they want to or not. It's impossible to have a group. This is what I think is going to happen. It's going to be 40 guys. Maybe they up at 10 more guys. Then they each get to pick their 15 to 20. Do the, do the ladies pick or do the guys pick? Because sometimes guys, they've had guys it where the, guy, the guys pick one or the other. They have to. The I, guys have to I pick. would just have them in the house and I would have the ladies confer like almost like they team up on who's going to get roses and they yeah. keep advancing, oh. but you kind of don't know who likes who. That's how they did with Joe Millionaire, which by the way, underrated show. But they So have, you said you said that was good, but you were the only one that watched it. I don't know very many people that watched it. I mean, I've gotten like maybe a handful of DMs of people being like, I watched it too, but like, no, I don't know who watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. It's very cheesy, but I think The Bachelor will do a better job 
at what Joe Millionaire was trying to do. So if you have two women leads, a pool of guys, they all live together. The guys get to date both women. And then the women have to talk it out. Like, I think I have a better connection with him. And then it'll eventually get to the point where somebody will have a super strong with one, only one. And then there'll probably be a few that are like teetering in between. Where you really want to land is you want to, you want to land in two places with this. You want, if, if everybody's eligible, you want to land with like the one guy who's kind of playing both sides, who's making it seem like he's connecting with one and then he goes to the other. So you have that, but then you also have, you know, the two, the two ladies kind of liking somebody. Yeah. Ideal TV is they both like the same guy. They both like Bob. Yeah. And Bob has And Bob's playing the, playing both sides of the fence with them. And then they're friends. And now they, now they're arguing. And that's, that's where we want to get to. I would, yes. because ultimately the, the bachelor franchise is built around the premise that women are going to turn on each other for the right guy. And it's like, it's the history of the show over and over again, especially when you have them all in the house together. They're, they're claiming that these, this friendship between these two is going to trump all of this. But I know from the bachelor franchise, that's, that's not, not how, how this works. No. Also, when you watch The Bachelor, sometimes I think when the, the women are like trying to become really good friends and they always paint a villain, right? This season, there was a couple of villains, but yeah. the villain's always like, I'm not here to make friends. And I'm like, that's not that's not unfair. Like that's right. No one's there to make friends. You guys are all dating the same people. I can't remember a time in my life where I liked a dude and I knew about another girl liking the same dude. And I was like, oh, yeah, let me go be homies with her. Like, yeah, no. let's, let's get coffee. Yeah, no, you end up, you know, usually like talking shit about each other. That's usually what happens. The most brilliant thing this show does is when there's three people left and they have the overnight fantasy suite. Oh my God. And then the, and then the one person returns the next day and they put the other two in the room and they come in and they, it's like, hey, how was your it's date? The most cringe moment of TV. And they perfect. always extend it. It's always like 45 seconds of silence of them all sitting yeah. there nodding. And they might like, loop you... in the silence. They might yeah, not what? even be an actual silence. <laughs> also, like, what are you supposed to say? They're all like, how did it go? Like, what are you? There's nothing you can say in that moment that is comfortable for everyone. It's always a smaller room. They want they want them confined. <laughs> one in, couch. Like, sitting in ca- yeah, one couch <laughs> where they're like right near each other. And the other two are trying to read the face of yeah. the third one. The third one doesn't want to say too much, but she Which, obviously just wants... Yeah. That's what Susie did. Susie read the room and was like, oh, they both had sex with him. Yeah. Well, and then the really smart. This is why the show's been on for 20 years. Putting Susie third. Yeah. Yeah. He put her Which, first. The show, He probably just was like, that's it. It's a wrap. The other two are out. Or you put her first and she tells him if you have sex with the, I, either of the other two, then I'm done. And he won't have sex with either of them. Hopefully. I don't you, know about. Yeah. You were watching the screeners, right? Because you were mm-hmm. watching ahead of time. Yeah. I think one of the keys with this show is if you watch it live with the commercials, you really start to hate yourself. Because <laughs> it's a, it's like... It's so it's, long. It's barely worth your time anyway. <laughs> and there's a lot of moments where you're like, I can't believe I'm going <laughs> to devote another Monday night to this. But if you even if you started at like 8.30 when it's on live... And at least yeah. you can zoom through the commercials. Mentally, I'm I'm in a better headspace with it. I only want to spend 90 minutes or less with this show. Yeah, I have to. If I don't have screeners, like I'm recording, I can't I can't watch it live. It's too it's so long. Well, it seemed like 
this time around live, the audience kind of hated, what was his name? Chadwick? Clay- Clayton. Clayton. <laughs> Chadwick. Chadwick. They, I, it was probably the most tepid response I think anyone's gotten coming out. I, I, I feel like they were coming at him the whole fun finale. Like Gabby it, and the way that they split it up. Usually they like show the episode and then they have people come out. They were like, Gabby first. Okay, now Gabby, it's your turn to go at Clayton. Now, Rachel. Okay, Rachel, it's your turn to go at Clayton. Every single time Rachel or Gabby said anything, the audience was like, yeah. Like right. they weren't happy for him at all. And even when Susie came out, I feel like the audience were like, fuck you. We don't want you to be happy. Right. I and, personally and- am happy. I want them to be together. I feel like so much shit happened this season. I would, I, I want something to come out of it. I don't know if it's going to last either, but I'm glad that he found someone and that Susie did it her way and didn't, you know, say yes. I will say, I thought it was really weird that she went and met him in the countryside in a sparkly white dress to tell him no. Yeah, there was a lot of things that didn't <laughs> add up. I, I actually think that they're not together and sometimes I think they arrange where it's like, come back and, pretend like whatever, but then two weeks later, because they just, I don't think they wanted the show to end with like just complete sadness and an abyss. Nothing. Yeah, it would have yeah. been really sad. Clayton looked miserable. Um, I saw on TikTok that Susie went on Nick Bial's podcast and said mm. that she DM'd Clayton. So she went after Clayton after it was all over. So the producers were just pushing her to do that. I guess. Would be my guess. The thing is though with him, I mean, I don't think, I think we've had more handsome bachelors just trying uh, to be nice. I, w- yes. I would say he's on the lower end of the no, handsome bachelors they've had. I agree with you, but I also say like, there's someone for everyone, right? Like there's people that think I'm ugly, but Seth doesn't. So good for me. You know, like, <laughs> there's well, but I'm saying like, so he, he was one of the most handsome ones. I don't think Correct. he was particularly funny. I don't remember him saying anything funny. I'm not, I don't think he was a rocket scientist. Um, <laughs> he was really there to make mistakes. So from that, that's it. And he made mistakes I, and that's what related. His family seemed great. So yeah. I have to imagine he's a decent guy that just had no fucking clue how to navigate this. What was the, what was the reality show that completely got you where you're like, I'm just in on this entire genre. I feel like you're going to hate me for this, but. Um, Love Island. Why would I hate you for this? I, I, I don't judge. I don't judge with reality. Do you watch Love Island? I've seen Love Island. I could watch like 24 hours a day, just like constant zoom of love. I love Love Island. I recently got into Big Brother and obviously it's been on for a long time. I started yeah. watching it like two years ago. I think the, the, Love and challenge, like those type of shows get me. Survivor, Big Brother, The Challenge. Um, I do like the Oh, Bachelor, that's right. Obviously. You love the challenge. Yeah. Love the challenge. I don't and think you I've like ever... some of the you like some of the Bravo, right? All the Bravo. I watch a ton of reality television. Real Housewives, Summer House, Southern Charm. Love it. See, you probably don't remember this because it was 20 years ago, but the first wave of great reality shows was when The Bachelor started, uh, Temptation Island. Which is Joe Millionaire for a year. Yeah, Temptation Island was the first time. The Bachelor was great, obviously, and got huge ratings. Real World. Well, yeah, going way back, Real World. But Temptation Island was the first time I felt like 
oh, they're really starting to figure this out now. <laughs> this is this is the direction we need to I, go as a society. I, I think I felt that with Flavor of Love. Another great one. Yeah. <laughs> Temptation Island and Joe Millionaire were the ones that opened the door for like, there's really no dating premise that can't work. If <laughs> yeah. you just put people together in a place, things are going to happen. And 20 years later, I felt like, especially when The Bachelor was having some of the, some of the problems, you know, some of the big picture problems that was happening. It did feel like the franchise might peter out. I thought then, it was. And, la and the last Bachelorette season was just boring. And it just felt like, yeah, maybe this is it. But, you know, it went back to its roots. So the last Bachelorette season, I loved Michelle. But she was great. I, but I not, not to, fun to watch on TV. No, she was too classy. Like, you need to pick yeah. people that are gonna, I don't know another way to say this, but like ratchet it up, make, make yeah. bad decisions, do stupid things. Like, that's what you want to see. Did you ever think of going on a reality show? Zero percent chance. Zero percent chance. What do you think? So basketball wives. Which, wait, wait. Yeah. I would go on Amazing Race. And I'm. Well, you're, you're a good athlete, though. That would be that would be I, potentially a smart move for you. I also love like learning about different cultures and stuff. So I watch Amazing Race still. It just ended. Um, I would go on Amazing Race and I have considered Survivor. I'm just like, I, I don't. I can't make a fire. I don't, I've never slept in a sleeping bag. Like I'm very much a like put me in a nice hotel type of person. I'm, I don't know how to fish. I don't like bugs. So I would go on survivor to like push myself, but I wouldn't make it very far, which would annoy me. Well, that's probably why you'd be good on survivor. They like when the people have flaws. I've wanted my wife to go on survivor for 20 years and could never get it done. Cause she doesn't want to. She'd be great on the challenges and she gets super, super ornery when she doesn't eat. <laughs> so the <laughs> combo too. of those two things where they'd be trying to vote her off, but then she'd keep winning the challenges to stay on the show would just be, that's where you want to be on Survivor. Would you ever do a reality show? I, I would not. I would not. I, not I think, a show. I think way back when in my 20s, I would have done Real World if it was like oh, early God. 20s. I especially real world was way more important in the nineties. I mean, it was like actually like a pretty iconic show for my yeah. generation. Yeah. There's now like it's like people I, from yeah, the now, real world from back then. You know, what kind of killed the real world was the internet. Cause once the internet started and people just started to get more perspectives, the real world became less interesting. But in like 1993, yeah, where it it's like, great. I only knew my friends you know, and people I went to school with or wherever. And then all these weird people were on my TV living together. It's like, what is this? By Why the way, do you... I keep saying it's great, but I was four years old in 1993. But I do remember, I don't, I don't know how old I was when I started watching it, but I love the real world. Well, it led to the challenge, which is, it's, yeah. it's important legacy. And the challenge is one of the most important uh, reality shows ever. Why do you think the basketball wives show didn't make it? it feels like that brings a lot to the table that we all like in reality shows, but it didn't, it just couldn't last. I mean, it did well for a while. Yeah. Um, it's like three years. It's probably hard to get people to go on it now. Like what basketball player wants their wife to go on that show when they're fighting, like yeah. it's all drama, which obviously that's part of it. They want that because that's what makes the show watchable. We could yeah. watch a whole bunch of people doing nothing and getting along. Um, but I think that's why no one wants to go on the show. I would never go on the show. Do you think it's basketball players are just too that? I mean, everybody's a brand now and yeah. they're way more conscious about how they're perceived. Plus you have Twitter and you have screen grabs and all these different For ways sure. 
especially um, like the bigger guys. Like I can't imagine Savannah James wanting to go on that show. No, I, I can't see that one either. I mean, it was amazing. Sha- Shaq's wife was on it, but it was kind of was they're kind of getting divorced at that point. I, I think, think they were already divorced when she started it. But she uh, I'm pretty sure she EP like she's an EP on the show. She probably made a good deal of money. All right. So what is the NBA reality show then? Is it even possible? I well, I let's say it, <laughs> let's say Paramount Plus brings us in a room, you and I, and we're like, figure out a show for us. If I could pitch a show and everyone has to say yes to it, like I don't think this would ever happen. But I would pick the people that are like most interesting that we know the least about and follow them around. Like I would I would love to follow some people around and know what their actual life's like. Wouldn't you love to follow Kyrie around and just find out what his actual life is like? Well, I think, yeah, if we're going top five players who would have a great reality show, just from a, I'm fascinated watching this standpoint, Kyrie has to be in like the top three. Yeah. I would say. I'm fascinated by Jokic. I like his, how he's got his two oh, brothers. would love. I Actually, Jokic and his brothers. One. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, would, I would be in on that just to know his brothers go. It seems like they're in every city with him. It's just the three of them at all times. And I just want to know more. What also, do they like, do? Super tight knit families are fun to watch. Right. Well, that, but the problem is sometimes when you see that on a reality TV, I don't know if I trust how super tight they are. They're telling yeah. us they're super tight, but it's like, yeah. if you're super tight, you wouldn't be on the show. Right. Also, I don't know if you saw, but after, I think it was last year after the playoffs, did you see that video of Jokic going around where he's just like in a carriage? A horse is like pulling him around on a carriage. <laughs> no. Did you see this? Oh, I have to send you this video. There was this video that like went viral at, literally like a week after the playoffs and he's back in, where's he from? Serbia? He's, oh man, I always get all the NBA countries confused. Somewhere, I think he's, yeah. I think he's Serbia. Yeah, okay. So he's back in Serbia on a dirt road, just like doing laps with the horse and he's just following around. Like he's in the carriage behind the horse getting pulled, which obviously has to be a very strong horse. But like, you just don't see an NBA player do something like that. Like he makes, right. I don't even know how much money and he's just like back in his home country following behind a horse in a little tiny little carriage and he's seven feet tall. Like I, I can't imagine what his life is actually like outside of basketball. The NBA has never figured this out because I remember when I was at ESPN that we did the association, ironically with your dad. Um, it was the season after the Celtics won the title and it was like going to be hard knocks for the NBA and they had... Oh, camera yeah. crews behind the scenes, but they never really, first of all, they didn't want to show the, anyone swearing. They never wanted to show anything that could, anybody would get mad about. So it was like kind of this sanitized version of hard knocks. And it just, it was, some of it was interesting, but it just didn't totally work. Whereas like you think, all right, a camera's following that team for a, a year with like KG and Ray oh Allen gosh. and Rondo and your dad Paul? and all these different, yeah. And Paul and like, how did that not, how is that not amazing? But the NBA kind of uh, doesn't want that to be amazing. Yeah, probably. But I think HBO does like a great job with hard knocks. It's never yeah, cause like. Because fo- football, they let them do it. But really, yeah, but it's pre it doesn't pre-season. ever make anyone look horrible. That's like, how I feel. We did, we did courtside four years ago, which was all about the NBA finals. And I, yeah. I was, I was on it and we did all these interviews, but we were supposed to get all this kind of behind the scenes footage and they just they didn't want to give us the stuff that actually would have made the show yeah. awesome. I also wonder know? like do people want to see like 
that's the other thing with Kyrie Jokic. Like they're also so insanely good at basketball. Like I would yeah. like to see what their work ethic looks like. But right. I don't know if that's interesting to other people. I was thinking because I, li- I like that F1 show. I finally got into it. Yeah. And I was, I was watching it I don't last ne- night. They'll never do it for NBA, right? And They're the doing guys it for would, golf and tennis, though. Right. But in yeah. NBA, like, Steph's not going to be like, cool, I'll sit down, but I'm not an EP and I get nothing out of this. Like, yeah, he's never really, doing it. How does how does that F1 show get the... Like, they get all the best people. Well, what happened the first year, the, the two best Ferrari and Mercedes weren't on it, right? So then mm-hmm. Daniel Ricciardo became the star of the season one and then season two, Lewis Hamilton's right there. Right, right. Because it's like, oh, I have to be on this. But it helped them grow the sport. The NBA right. doesn't... I don't think the NBA needs the help, you know? No, yeah, I guess that makes sense for F1. Like, it only helps their brand to do the show. It's not going to help Steph's brand to do that show. But you know what I was thinking? Now I'm giving away a good idea. I think G- I think G League would work. I'm actually really interested in G League because I was watching, they showed a highlight last night of some dunk. Somebody had this crazy G League dunk. And there was, like, nobody in the stands. It was like it was like fifty people, and I'm like, yeah. "What goes on in the G League? It's a great idea. It hasn't depends caught on, on. Yeah, it depends on the the location because like Santa Cruz, those games are like crazy, right? So I think it depends on like where you are. I I I don't know if they still have the team in Erie, but I know Erie. It's probably you know different than what it is in Santa Cruz. Also, it would be more interesting now because some of the best players go to the G League instead of college. Like it yeah. would have been cool to see Jalen Green last year in the G League, right? So I think I think G League F1 could could potentially work. I think I would at least give that a test drive. I would sign up to watch that. Um, you love Love is Brown, right? Oh my God. So That's good. the show. To me, that was the show of the year. <sighs> if you can fall in love with somebody through a wall, I need you on a reality show. I think it. what makes Love is Blind even better is that there still are couples from season one that are together and married. Right. Yeah, like they have like a real bond. works. Yeah. Well, could you do I that? Think- I think they trust the show that the people are, aren't going to be like unattractive. Like they'll at least be attractive enough that yeah. they can talk themselves into it maybe. But yeah, if you're falling in love with somebody through a while, no, I could not have done that would be my answer. I, I don't, I don't think I could do, I, I don't think I could do it in a week either. That's the other thing. It's not like they're there for months talking to someone, getting to know someone. All right. You have to go be a mom. Um, I do. So what are we betting if it's Brooklyn Celts round two? <laughs> Um, first of all, I think that'll be a great series. It depends on who's healthy. But if I had to place a bet, it's got to be something Seth related. Seth's got to, Seth's got to do a five hour podcast with me. If, okay. (laughs) Which can Seth talk for five straight hours? (laughs) Probably not. You're lucky to get 50 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'll get, I'll get Seth for a half hour. What's the bet though? (laughs) Um, I guess if the Celtics win, yeah. Is that the type of bet we're doing? I mean, now we'll, you know what? We'll figure this out. I don't want to jinx it. I do feel like we, the Celtics and Nets Celtics are going to see five each right other. Now? Seth kind of kills us, by the way. I don't, I don't look forward to seeing Seth in the, in the that playoffs. would be a fun atmosphere in both places. I think, cause it's so close that there'd be a lot of fans at both places. So I think we're going to get to three. And because it, you think it, that the bulls are going to keep dropping. And I think Philly is, why, I think it. Philly's don't get in trouble here, but I think Philly's going to run from Brooklyn. Don't say anything. Um, By the way, I think Philly's going to be super happy being in the three, six, four, five set. If, if it were me, I'm dropping to four. Four is the safest place to be. I think Brooklyn has too much. They 
you saw it in that game. They have too much speed for Philly. And I think Philly's like, I'm out of the, we're out. If, we don't want to play this team. If I'm any team, I don't want to face Brooklyn first round. Like, why would no. I want to sign that? Like, it sucks for whoever gets them because they had a great season. So, but Miami, Miami, Milwaukee are going to be like, we're not afraid of anybody. Bring Brooklyn on. I mean, I don't think Miami has a choice. They're going to probably be the one seed. So the the path would be Brooklyn wins the 7-8. Maybe, They play, yeah. just this is how it would play the Celtics. Celtics yeah. get the three. 2-7, okay. round one. Brooklyn beats the two seed. Celtics win the 3-6. And now round two, 2-3, two, Celtics. So you think nets. Brooklyn will beat Bucks first round? That's your, that's, that's your guess. No, I, I actually think... I think we could see Milwaukee one, Miami two. Oh, okay. I think if I'm Brooklyn, Milwaukee is the team I don't want to play in in any round. I don't know who I want to play. The the East is I I think that the East is tough this year because there's too many really good teams. It's awesome. The East the West, has sucked. The East has the, sucked for ten years. A while. The West has the Suns, who seem to be head and shoulders above everyone in the entire league, although I think that changes right. in the playoffs. But for right. regular season, head and shoulders above everyone. And then you have Memphis and Golden State that are also really good. Um, and and, and then Denver, Denver kind of lurking. Yeah, Denver. But there are there are good teams. It just seems like there's more like animosity in the East. I just think the East first round playoffs, all four rounds are going to be great. That Philly-Brooklyn game was... It's kind of mean spirited. I loved it. There was you could was, see there was a lot of stuff going on on both it, sides. It was heated, but it wasn't that much fun to watch because you knew in the first yeah it was done six minutes yeah. yeah. All right, we did it. You came on the podcast. <laughs> I didn't get you in trouble. There's there's going to be no news story coming out of this. No headlines. Um, we can hear you on the uh, Ring of Reality feed and on Bachelor Party as well. Though the Bachelor's finally going away after like 15 straight months. For a, it's going away for a, for a couple, couple of months. months. So yeah. we're going to figure out what we're going to cover. But there's so much reality TV. I'm sure we'll find something. All right. It's great to have you on the Ringer. Say hi to Seth. Thank you. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing it. As always, thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Surdy. Thanks to Solak and Mahoney and Callie Curry. We'll see you in this feed on Sunday with Rosillo. And don't forget, uh, I'll have a FanDuel parlay bet for you. Go check out the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook. Coming so close with these NBA parlays. Just Wednesday night. Missed by one Robert Williams rebound. Almost hit 5-1. to one. Celtics to cover. Smart 15-plus points. Smart 2-plus free throws. Robert Williams, 10 rebounds. You only got 9. We still won. I'm not bitter about it. I'm going to come back on Friday. I'll see you in there. I'll see you in this feed on Sunday. Enjoy the week. I